This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you, especially you, to episode 632 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum, your head number one this week. And I'm your head number two, the internet's Joe Patrick. In this brain-bursting episode, we'll be reviewing new comics from the last two weeks of August. And after that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week. And then we'll give you a bite-sized sample of what it's like to pay for our love with a bit of our Patreon exclusive. Take a look. It's in a book. It's a segment where this month, Ryan Mount and the THN historian Jason Sachs joined us for a discussion of our first DC YA GN. If you don't know what that means, you're too old. The mystery of the meanest teacher, a Johnny Constantine mystery. But... Before we clean up our language to make this show suitable for all audiences, let's get ready to cuss and spit about some new comics because it's review time in this damn ziggurat. Get it straight. It's called Take a Look. It's in a book club now what because we're in a, a book look. club. That's right. Yeah. This episode's review pile comes from New Comic Book Wednesdays, August 18th and August 25th, and it's full of upper-class cannibals, suspect masters of magnetism, sons of supermans, and fucking Darkhawk, but not that Darkhawk. It's a different Darkhawk. New Darkhawk. Matt, let's get into it. What's your first review from last week, August 18th? Let's kick it off with a big bad book. This one is Kang, number one from Marvel. It cost $4.99. It was written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lanzig, who I keep wanting to say Jackson Lanzing. And that's not his name. And I'm probably going to screw it up. With art by Carlos Magno. Here's your solicit. The origin of Kang! The man called Kang the Conqueror has been a pharaoh, a villain, a warlord of spaceways. Of the spaceways. Oh, I get it. And even on rare occasions, a hero. Across all timelines, one fact seemed absolute. Time means nothing to Kang the Conqueror. But the truth is more complex. Kang is caught in an endless cycle of creation and destruction, dictated by time and previously unseen by any but the Conqueror himself. A cycle that could finally explain the enigma that is Kang, and a cycle that begins and ends with an old and broken Kang sending his younger self down a dark path. It is long solicit week, so buckle up, butthead. Yeah, it is. If you haven't heard, (laughs) Kang is rumored to be the MCU's next big bad, so it's about time the bullpen gives him a definitive origin. Or, as definitive as a time traveler at war with many different time-displaced versions of himself can be, anyway. (laughs) Last time, I remember encountering this writing team... They were working on a Grayson book that saw Dick Grayson working for a spy agency. Was that them? I that, thought that was Tom Taylor and uh, Tim Seeley. They started it. These guys took over for them. That oh. was during the DC New 52 relaunch. The pair are quite a ways from all things Bat-related with this latest and their first Marvel project, I just found out. But they seem to be right at home with this evil Doctor Who tale. Kang is often portrayed as a stone-faced, almost alien being, but here they take some time to humanize both young and old Kang as he strives to correct his mistakes by, of course, time-traveling to kidnap his younger self. That's what you do, you know? 
Magno's art keeps getting better every time I bump into his books, and this issue looked amazing. His pages are huge, with detailed, sprawling pieces that move from futurescapes to ancient Earth, complete with gorgeous dinosaurs. Kang the Conqueror, number one, was just as wild as I hoped it would be. And next up, we get to meet Rama Tut. How do you say no to that? I'm giving this a massive buy it. Yeah, I mean, it was good. I, I, you know, as you were saying that, I really quickly diverted to Google because I couldn't believe that this was their first Marvel project. But it turns out I'm confusing them with another writing duo that was doing X books before Dawn of X. And okay. I can't remember their names. Okay. So forget it. Um, cool but story. yeah, Land, uh, <laughs> Kelly and Lansing. Well, I'm just saying like, I, I, I was mistaking them for other creators. No, and so it. when I saw their names on the book, I was like, eh, sure. But no, this was good. It's, it's really good. Uh, like I never read Grayson, so I, I'm not familiar with their work. Um, I thought this was a really well done story. And I thought the art it was incredible. Now, past uh, listeners of the show will know, will 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 probably not remember, but I have not historically been a fan of Carlo Magno. No, Joe talks uh, I just, smack about Carlos Magno. And look, art is subjective, so you know that's my prerogative. I, this is a review show; I'm allowed to not like it. But I thought the art here was extremely. Well done. Yeah. Uh, I do think yeah, I do think that Magno's faces are weird. Oh, get out of here. They're get are, out no, here. they are. They are. They're weird. They're stiff. They're awkward. They look like mannequins. But the detail of the backgrounds and the lush environment, like it's incredible. It's just a, it's really a stunning looking comic. With my obelisk, no one can oppose my conquest of time. Moving on, it's Eat the Rich, number one from Boom Studios. It's written by Sarah Gailey with art by Pius Bach. Its cover price is $3.99. Here's your solicit. What unspeakable horror eats away at the heart of Crestfall Bluffs? It's cannibals. With law school and her whole life ahead of her, Joey plans to summer with her boyfriend, Aster, in his seemingly perfect hometown of Crestfall Bluffs. Yeah, also, yeah, take a drink every time they say Crestfall Bluffs if you don't care to make it to the twist. It's a chance to finally meet Aster's family and childhood friends, all while enjoying a vacation with every need attended to by servants. But beneath the affluent perfection lies a dark, deadly rot. Cannibals. Will Joy discover the truth? Cannibals. Before it's too late. And if she does, can she survive to tell the tale? Oh, yeah. Or, or the tale of the cannibals. Uh, so it's cannibals. Uh, the supposed twist in this dark and deadly tale is so telegraphed that I feel like it must have been on purpose. First of all, there's the title, Eat the Rich. I get it. Second of all, the cover gives, uh, gives off very cannibally or vampire vibes. I thought it was either going to be cannibals or vampires. Fair enough. I knew it was cannibals. I, I figured like, yeah, within, within a few pages, you, you can't, when Astro was, when Astro was out in the daylight, I was like, oh, it's cannibals. Well, you can't put cannibal in the title and then make it like a secret. That's, that doesn't work. You know, No, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not saying um, you, I'm talking about the creators. It's, it's like, right, like it's the like, pun. This story is called secret Dracula. And what's the main character's secret? He's Dracula. Like, okay. Well, yeah. Right. On. Exactly. I wish it was, <laughs> I wish it was called secret Dracula. Cause that's a great name. Uh, Gailey must also be a big fan of Jordan Peele and similar trendy horror directors because Eat the Rich is basically a palette swap of Get Out with class replacing race 
with a dash of ready or not thrown in for good measure. I thought the dialogue was fine, uh, but I just couldn't get past how predictable the story felt. All of that said, I really liked the art by Pius Bach and colorist Roman uh, Titov or Titov. It reminded me a lot of 90s uh, era Vertigo by uh, guys like Richard Case and Mark Buckingham. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Titov's warm palette of blues and reds gets darker and more intense with the plot. Yes, day turns to night. Haha, of course, it gets darker. It makes sense. But a lot of the final scene takes place in a well-lit, on a well-lit like outdoor pavilion or on a stage of some kind. And so it's more than just the time of day. It's just like there's a subtle shift in the warmth of the colors. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's, it's very effective. It's beautiful. Yes. Uh, though I really enjoyed the art and I'll at least check out issue two. Eat the Rich number one was so derivative to me. Uh, I hope Gailey brings something interesting to the future issues. I've got to give this a skim it. Like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, this is an idea from this movie. This is an idea from that movie. Yeah. And it's like, by the end of it, it was all I could think about. You're not wrong at all. And everything you named was exactly where this came from. And the thing I movie- thought that there was a third, I thought I thought of a third movie, but it's escaping me. But it's definitely Get Out meets Ready or Not. Us? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> No, not us. Okay. Well, I mean, there are no evil clones from the middle of the earth, the flat earth. But I guess when you have a movie called us or you have a movie called get out and you know, it's a thriller and you know, there's going to be a twist. Nothing is given away by that title. When you name the book, eat the rich. We know like, and you start to be, Oh, there's something sinister going on. It was a coin flip. Yeah. It was a coin flip. They're eating people, you know, like they were Dracula's or they were Dracula's or cannibals. Yeah. And then it turns out they're cannibals. There you go. No, I'm with you. Skim it. Really, really strong art, though. Let's move from cannibals to murderous, uh, geez, samurai uh, robot things, I guess. Maybe, the, I don't know. maybe, I don't know. This is Second Chances from Image Comics. It's $3.99, your creative team. It's written by Ricky Mamone with art by Max Bertolini. I don't know if it's Ricky Mamone or not, but Max Bertolini. I was going to say, hey, he's a real Mamone. Yeah, I'm putting them both Italian. Hey, they're good boys. Here's your solicit. Second chances hotline. Dash, call now and get a new identity, exclamation point. All you need is some cash, a proper referral, and a very good reason to start over. When LeBlanc, the man behind the hotline, is approached by a shady figure from his past, he's forced to accept a new client who doesn't meet any of the requirements. Dash, a client with chemically induced amnesia in a desperate need of protection. Let me just stop there. Did you pick up on that? Uh, no. Okay. Thank you. Up and coming writer, Ricky Mamone and artist, Max Bernalini, the witcher, Nathan never explode onto the scene with a psychedelic action packed bizarre noir. That feels like John wick punching through an existential French new wave fever dream. All right. Now hold on. (laughs) So, Let's back it up. Black and white comics can be a tough sell, but some artists work just looks better that way. While Max Bertolini is extremely talented, I felt like he could have used some coloring to flesh out the depth and detail here a bit more. Disagree, but really? I'll hold my t- okay. tongue until All it's right. my turn. I just felt like he was so good that it's like I just wanted a little more to I get it, it. I guess. No, no, I get it. Mamoni's story is just as nuts as the end of that solicit says it is. And while I didn't get lost, this first issue, or maybe even first couple of issues, may have benefited from setting up LeBlanc's job a little more, the whole second chance idea before launching right into this 
bizarre conflict. It, so yeah, it did. It felt long, right? Yeah, it felt like, like it may have been two chapters squeezed together. Absolutely, it felt like the idea here is good enough that they could have let it breathe a little bit before introducing the villain and taking the next step into the story. There's a lot going on, and there's some cool ideas. It just felt like there was a little too much crushed into this first issue, and I didn't get to know the main character very well at all. And like I said. They spell out in the solicit that there was an issue with a character that had amnesia and wasn't sure what was going on. That did not come through in the story. (laughs) It just didn't. And after I was done, I read the solicit and went, oh, really? I'll tell you what came through in the story. Hold on. I'm giving this a skim it. Now you can go. All right. Chemically induced psychosis is what what we got. Uh, So the feeling of multiple chapters being uh, brought together for one slightly lengthy American comic is a real giveaway uh, that it's some sort of adaptation of a European book. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, you're not wrong. With those names, um, it could be. I don't know. I mean, well, to, Nathan, never, in, n- Nathan, Nathan never Nathan is a European comic. It's an Italian comic, uh, yeah. Yeah. So when, uh, so when, uh, yeah, they credited the guy to, to Nathan never, I'm like, ah, you okay. know, it started to click. So to that point, also the Witcher, the Witcher is like yes. Scandinavian or something. So the, to the that point, source material, there could be a translation thing going on here too. There could be a translation thing. Uh, I mean, I don't think you, I don't think you make a, a, a localization error from, uh, amnesia to crazy pants no but no 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 something I mean, yeah something might be lost just the way the dialogue um, kind of played yeah out right stuff, like, um it makes more sense when you put it in that frame i didn't even think yeah of that. yeah and we've gotten that from other comics in the past that we've reviewed yeah uh, where it's like you know what i feel like this is this was presented in a different format in a different market yeah. and it doesn't read the same right. it doesn't it doesn't feel the same and the breakpoints aren't the same like there would have been no good break point to end this earlier yeah i I don't think i think we get spoiled by things like anime where there's money in it so the translation is americanized and done very well for american audiences whereas i don't know if that same translation goes into european comics whether they're italian or french or whatever i think they may just be translated there you go you know not that it didn't Uh, make sense but it can come off kind of odd well, and also there's like the whole sh- like Shonen Jump uh, kind of aspect right. where it's like in in Japanese uh, comics and manga, at least with like, I'm talking about Shonen Jump, the specific publication. Those were serialized stories and they were probably a lot more bite-sized, right? Yeah. And this yeah. was, these, these were, this felt like two chapters yeah. not like multi, not like five or six or not like a dc digital comic right where it's like it's the first three chapters right, right. shoved into one and so yeah anyway it, it's got some pacing issues uh it's got some awkwardness um as far as the art goes a while back we reviewed or i reviewed a comic book called um black's myth from ahoy uh about the werewolf detective and I liked the story very, very much. The art was good, but uh, it was also very flat. It was black and white, yeah. but that's it. It was all black line art with no shading, no nothing. And I, I said in my review, it's like, you got to, you've got to use depth of shading when you're doing a black and white comic. You can't rely on color. You've got to have the heavy blacks, the gradients of, of uh, the shades of gray. 
And this comic had all of that. Yeah. And I thought that the, I thought that like this art, the difference between that book and this book is that this book was drawn by somebody that very clearly understood what it meant to draw in black and white. Fair enough. And I thought that the art was very good. I, I, I just, um, and I'm not saying it was bad. I thought the art was excellent. It just felt like, well, why didn't they color this? This looks like it's screaming to be colored because of all sure. the detail. And I bet, I bet it, the answer is because that's how it was originally presented. Yeah. Like I'm the sure. format it was presented in was probably black and, and that's white. their choice. They're telling a noir story. I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a skim it as well because yeah, the story is all over the dang place and uh, there are some things about it that didn't quite make sense. And you know, the connecting the dots from A to B to C to Q didn't quite work. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it was beautiful. And um, yeah, it's a skimmit. Let's move into the legal portion of the show, Joe, where we will yeah, uh, uh, we play in lawyers the, <laughs> in the mutant criminal justice system. <laughs> dun dun. It's X Men: The Trial of Magneto, number one, or as our friend Shonix would say, Magnets. It comes from Marvel Comics. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Lucas Werneck. It's uh, got a cover price of four dollars ninety nine cents. And we learned it's pronounced solicit. Magneto. It's Magneto, yeah. Magneto. Yeah, sorry. The story that will shake Krakoa to its core! <clears throat> right, I embrace my inner beast man there. <clears throat> a horrific murder, a shocking revelation, a trial that will divide the new mutant nation. Leah Williams and Valerio Skitty. No, he drew the cover, though. Bring you an epic, a new epic that threatens the reign of X and will upend the world of mutants. The truth is hidden. The danger is far from over and the trial has begun. So you've been accused of murdering your own former daughter. <laughs> this issue could also be called how to make a bad situation worse. The Magneto way <laughs> uh, credit where it's due. Leah Williams continues to grow on me as a writer. I didn't love a lot of her earlier stuff uh, to be kind. But I've enjoyed every new project she's been involved with in this new era of X-Men. I think X-Factor is great. I really, really like it. Yeah, it got really good, and now it's gone. Yeah, well, you know, these things happen. There's a plan. Like, the whole, the whole X-Office has this weird, inscrutable plan. I'm sure Leah Williams is part of it. From the second Magneto showed up in that all-white uniform at the beginning of Hawks and Pox, I just knew we'd hit a point where he is no longer interested in playing nice. And here we are. Uh, you can tell that Leah is a fan as the subtle moments of characterization are strong throughout this issue. Like uh, there's a moment where Logan is very proud of his kids. Uh, you know, you can put kids in quotes if you yeah. want, but uh, Cloney, like Dawkins is, Doc, is, is his actual son. <laughs> right. But uh, but like he's really proud of Dawkins for getting in a good attack on Magneto. And then he's like very protective of X-23. It's very it. sweet. I loved it. I like now I just want the Wolverine family book. God damn it. <laughs> I know. Give it to me. Give it to me. Uh, there's also a, a great scene with the former members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Toasting the memory of their fallen sister. Uh, it, I thought it was very sweet. It was. You can see the cracks starting to show more and more on Krakoa, especially with regard to how the Quiet Council operates in general and treats each other specifically. And it's very fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, they're, like, they're, you could just like see the smugness oozing off of Mystique's face. It's like, I fucking told you assholes yeah. what would happen if you crossed me. Well, and Mystique also is still super pissed at Magneto because he's the one that and, keeps like saying, well, you failed. Sorry. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the next event, right? Yeah. Inferno. That's the next thing is once this is over, we get to deal with what Mystique's been up to. 
I'm not at all familiar with artist Lucas Warneck, and obviously, according to the solicit, he was not originally uh, slated to draw this issue. But I thought his work was really strong, especially in the action scenes. Uh, but he also does a great job of getting the emotional beats of the story across. Uh, he also does something that I really appreciate in a story like this. If you're going to draw a story where Magneto freaks the fuck out, he has got to be scary. Yeah, He's got to be scary. imposing. Yeah, like he is one of the most powerful people to ever walk the face of the planet Earth. And if he is mad, it should be a bad scene. And it was. I mean, this dude just like revived the core of the planet Mars. That's how powerful he is. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look, don't don't come at Magneto with bone claws. Okay, it's not really a big issue. Trial Magneto number one was a great kickoff to this mutant mystery. Uh, You know, I've said it uh, in past episodes. I fell off after uh, 10 of swords. I like somewhere I lost the plot and uh, I need to get caught up because I want to read those issues. But I jumped back in with planet size X-Men and the relaunched X-Men title. And I've been loving it. And this is a great start to a new storyline, complete with a twist at the end that you probably saw coming, but it will definitely get me back for more. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. And you can see Leah Williams building off her X Factor sort of investigations book and spinning it into this kind of courtroom battle thing that they're setting up with it. You've got X Factor, you know, investigating the crime and you've got X-Force who was doing security during the Hellfire Gala as witnesses and whatnot. Why no one is asking if Polaris did it, I don't know. But, I mean, hey, <laughs> I get it. Uh, because they knew Magneto was the last one to see her alive. Well, fair enough. But yeah. regardless, on an island full of shapeshifters and telepaths and, you know, give me a break. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that, that, but that's just it, right? It's like, Magneto, if you would just calm down for five goddamn right. seconds. Right, Let them do their job. Sure. But trust these trust these people to do their job. Has Magneto ever been like that? I know, right? I mean, but like, it's not like he's out of character right now. So, he's like, pissed. I don't like. I'd be willing to believe that there are actually very few people in the know on Krakoa that believe Magneto is guilty, right? But, Except for he just tried to kill a bunch of them, right? But they also think he needs to be knocked down a peg. They also are sick of his shit, and he is an imposing irrationally fucking maniacal guy sometimes. It's so so true. No, this is a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it. I think this is going to work into Inferno very well. Yes. I am Magneto, master of magnet. (laughs) Let's move on to this week, folks. And we start off with Superman, son of Kal-El, number two from DC. It's $2.99. We missed number one. So I'm kind of doing them both. This was written by Tom Taylor with art by John Timms. Here's your solicit. Jonathan Kent now dons his father's cape, but can he be Superman and still have a normal life? The answer is no. It's tough in this modern world. Danger is everywhere. The new Superman learns the hard way on his first day of college and a deadly attack forces John to step from the shadows and into the spotlight where his identity is exposed to the truth. An activist news machine ready to upset everything, but first... Oh, sorry, we're exposed to the truth. An activist news machine ready to upset everything. Not, Capital T, truth. Yes, not the general truth of something. So. Not the abstract concept of yes. truth. But first, the son still has some things to learn from his father. And a few cool toys to inherit. Ask yourself, what would you do 
with your very own Fortress of Solitude. A lot of masturbating. Exactly. (laughs) This all new chapter in the legacy of man. This all new chapter in the legacy of the man of steel has only just begun to reveal. You got robots to clean up. And by the way, I copied and pasted the solicit and it does say this all new chapter in the legacy of man of steel. So whatever. Uh, I mean, I wonder if they mean in the legacy of man of steel, the actual oh, this mini- chapter in the legacy of man of steel, which oh, but you know what? Sentence. Even that book was called the man of steel. Yeah, so no, hell? that's just a typo, right? They screwed it up. We have been waiting for Tom Taylor to get a major assignment. That wasn't some kind of weird else world for a while. And this appears to be it. Good news. Turns out it was worth the wait for the trolls out there. No, this is not just another Superman title. Taylor sets up Jonathan Kent as the new Superman while his dad is indisposed in space and he's decided to be a little more proactive than Soup Sr. was. Taylor starts issue one at the birth of Jonathan Kent and instantly sold me on giving him the reins to the monthly Justice League title when he shows the whole team covering for Superman so he could be there for Jonathan's birth. It was pitch perfect. I uh, like I loved uh, my favorite yes and my favorite thing was uh Superman kept trying to argue that uh oh but there's an alien invasion going on and, and like, the character would respond attempted attempted alien <laughs> invasion an attempted alien invasion we got it don't worry <laughs> issue 2 picks up with John trying to fit in but quickly realizing he can help change the world or he can hide and react to threats Sort of like his dad does. There were moments in both Hold issues on. that got me misty, and Tim's incredible art is just perfect for this story. Taylor has some work to do if he wants me to believe that this story leads to the future state story where John puts Metropolis in a bottle. But so far, I love Superman, son of Kal-El. This is exactly what we've been asking Taylor to do, and he's killing it. Give him a more important job. Give him Superman. I don't care. Buy it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, this was phenomenal. I loved the first issue and I loved this issue as well. What, what I am so thrilled by is that Taylor is not just writing another standard superhero comic starring yeah. a young character. He is writing John Kent as if he is his own distinct man with his own agenda and his own uh, sense of morality. Right. Right. Like, and he's making he, choices like, his dad right. would not make. Yes. Uh, This John, like this John Kent is like, you know what? Maybe punching like it was, it was right there in the first issue with that guy on fire Mm -hmm. in right. That guy on fire uncontrollably in the forest. And the military is like, we're here to put this guy down. And John is like, no, he's not doing this on purpose. Let me talk him out of it. You know? And it, we get that here too. And it's so refreshing and it's what makes Superman the concept. Yeah. So great because the interesting part of Superman is not how he punches his way out of anything. And um, I can't believe that you didn't want to talk about what happens at the end. I don't want to ruin but anything for people. I know, right? that's, that's fine. That's fine. Hey, let's it. let's just on. say, like, there there are some things that happen uh, that I um, there are some just, very 
very just, wild storm elements. I'm just paging Brian Domingo. Play is all I'll say, into this I, there's comic some stuff. Book. Yes. And there's some stuff. If the cybernary shows up next issue, I'm not going to be shocked. <laughs> so <I have> lady, <laughs> it's all lady Tron. He starts dating lady Tron. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this book is tremendous. Uh, John Tim, the art, John Tim's God damn. He's good. He is so good. And he has gotten so much better. Even yeah. in the like two years since the first time I saw him. Uh, and, like that scene, there's a scene where John uh, very quickly has to shed his, um, uh, we'll just say that they're his street clothes and um, deflect a bunch of bullets. And it's such an incredible sequence uh, that I was just like, man, I had to go back and look at it like three or four times. I was just so impressed. Yeah. Uh, it- this, this book is a huge buy it. Like Tom Taylor, you guys can love Tom King all you want. Nothing against him. You won't hear me bad mouthing him here. Why in this are you episode, doing this? But why are you doing I'm just this? saying. Look, because his name is Tom. <laughs> You're both Tom. Yes, what? I'm just saying. If there has to, if if the DC, if the world of DC Comics has to have one Tom above all, it's Tom Taylor. There are two Toms inside so- of you, and they're <laughs> they're fighting for dominance. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, this is obviously the superior Tom. Uh, no, this is a huge buy. It like if you're not Superman, son of Kal El. Read this book. If God, you haven't read, good. if you if you haven't read all the stuff leading up to it, it doesn't fucking matter. Just read number one. Yeah. You're fine. You'll get it. They uh, spell and, it out. And 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 look, I get it. We gush about Superman and we get super cheese ball about this shit. Yeah, we do. And there's definitely some stuff that happens in this comic book that you're gonna be like, oh, more social justice for your bullshit. But it get absolutely makes sense for this character to be who he is because yes. he was raised by Superman. Okay. Right. He's a, not only yeah, right. And and also he's a young idealist. Not only was he yes. raised by Superman, but he's a young and he's got like he's not he doesn't have this like weight of the world right. after years of yeah, anyway. It's good. It's really good. One thing I will spoil. It's minor, but at the very end, uh not the la- not the last page, but at the end of the issue, um John gets a new costume. Uh and I like verbally out loud, I said, thank Christ, <laughs> because that shitty, I don't know who's responsible for that monstrosity with all the lines, like the future Legion of Superheroes bullshit costume he came back with. I don't know if that was Ivan Rice or Ryan Sook or who, but that costume sucks. Yeah, I, I didn't like it. Uh, I think, you oh, got- you know what? He, it, it was Ivan Rice because he had it when he came back, uh, when he came back as a teenager. Yeah. He was wearing something and similar. And that. When he it's went to ugly. join the Legion of Superheroes, they changed his costume. No, he he has it here, uh, a, a much much better costume, yeah. and uh, I'm very happy about it. But yeah, huge buy it. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, let's talk about Marvel Comics for a change, huh? We never do that. Let's talk about another young legacy hero, shall we? <laughs> yeah, hey, while we're on the subject, it's Darkhawk number one. As I stated, is from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kyle Higgins with art by Juanin Ramirez. Its cover price is four ninety nine. A lot of four ninety nine books this week. Here's your solicit. Who is the all-new Darkhawk? Connor Young is a 17-year-old star basketball player with the world ahead of him until a surprising medical diagnosis changes everything. But what happens when a mysterious amulet finds him and gives him powers beyond belief? What will he do with these new abilities? Following the events of the Heart of the Hawk one shot from earlier this year, I wouldn't blame you if you missed it. It kind of came and went I with no fanfare. Missed the hell out of it. Yeah, I think I skimmed it because I knew that they were doing something with Darkhawk. The original Darkhawk, Chris Powell, is MIA and presumed dead. 
Kyle Higgins introduces us to the new wielder of the amulet here, but not before establishing a really necessary and really compelling backstory. Uh, there is all that stuff they mentioned uh, about Chris and his life as like this basketball star, this aspiring, um, you know, college draft pick with a whole life ahead of him and uh, all of this opportunity to change the lives of his family and his community because of his talent. And then it gets pulled out from under him. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil some stuff here. Connor is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It was kind of a major yeah. reveal on the book. So I'm yes. I mean, well, yeah, it's in the solicit medical diagnosis. The right. medical diagnosis is full blown feline AIDS there. No, it's, <laughs> it's multiple sclerosis. Uh, he has a so series of episodes. I wish you wouldn't make fun of my feline AIDS in front of everybody. Sorry. You know, I'm that's, sorry. That's I'm sorry. I, well, not the, I'm, I, I forgot <laughs> that you went, I forgot that you went full blown. I, I apologize. <laughs> He's got the, he has a series of episodes. It puts him on the bench. Um, uh, the care with which Higgins deals with the subject matter is extraordinary. And what's more, he's consulted not just with experts, but with real people dealing with MS that he plans to interview in each issue. Uh, in, in this issue, he interviews the, the young woman that helped him create Connor. And uh, it was such a, uh, um, a touching little essay or interview. Yeah. These people have really compelling stories. Uh, I personally have several family members that deal with MS to varying degrees of severity. I do too. Uh, and everything about this hit home for me. Like I got to that page where it's like, well, I've got multiple sclerosis. And it's like, Oh God. And suddenly I went from thinking, Oh, it's just a standard superhero comic featuring a young teen. Kyle Higgins, Kyle Higgins is good at that. To like being super invested in what's happening here. And then there's the superhero stuff. Higgins has a knack for youthful heroes that he's shown on projects like Power Rangers and Radiant Black. It's on full display here. Connor is a compelling character, diagnosis aside, with an interesting supporting cast. One character from which made a choice I didn't see coming. I like, I maybe I should have. Uh, but I legit didn't see it coming. Uh, Juan and Ramirez does a fine job on art, uh, though for some reason every character looks like they're just covered in dirt. Okay, I noticed that too. And I they've all got little line. They've all got little hash marks all over their faces. Right, and I didn't. Uh, know they they look like Pigpen from to do a Charlie Brown. Shading thing. It was weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. It, yeah, it's it's some sort of shading technique. But he they is, just look. They look dirty. He is very good, though. He's definitely talented. Yes, the the style is great. Uh, the action scenes are awesome. His new Darkhawk design is super cool. Yeah. Uh, I expected Darkhawk number one to be a little bit, just a little more than a fun trip through 90s nostalgia, just fluff. But it ended up resonating with me a whole lot more than that. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, I don't care about Darkhawk and I don't know shit about Darkhawk. I, I think it was maybe you don't need to. three episodes of cover to cover ago. I found out that Darkhawk was actually like a guy that swapped bodies with someone like I didn't know I didn't an know. android yeah I an android like from that. another dimension yeah, yeah I had no clue his brain took control of an android warrior being from another dimension and I think the easy criticism here is Kyle Higgins is already doing this story in the pages of radiant black which is very very good and it is similar character finds an alien thing transforms him into a superhero type character but it is a lot more than that I mean, you could argue yeah. that the Power Rangers are the same thing. This is his wheelhouse. Well, like there, there's uh, like teen teen superheroes is wish fulfillment at times sure. a billion. But I guess I'm talking you know? about and like so, alien artifact 
comes down. But that, but that's just it, right? It's like that's yeah. that's that's the that is like a huge trope with teen superheroes specifically. Is like I found X and sure. it does lets me do Y, and suddenly you know? my life has changed. Yeah, I mean for sure, yeah. it's it's Green Lantern is all it is basically. But yeah. this is so much more than that, and injecting it, it can. I think you could also say, well, it's just a shtick to whatever. It's not at all. He handles it no. very well. I thought it was a very interesting choice. And I'm sorry, but Darkhawk's a dumb character. And I have no cachet for that character. And now I want to know what happens to this one. This was very well executed. I'm giving it a huge buy. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you about Darkhawk. Darkhawk is a dumb character. <laughs> There's nothing dumb about that character in general. It's just that what's is that Darkhawk has been dumb on yes. many occasions. Yeah. My final review for this week is Echo Lands, number one from Image. It's $4.99. This was written by J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman with art by Williams, the three, and colors by Dave Stewart. Here's your solicit. A major Image Comics 2021 event! All right. Take it easy. The story of Earth's <laughs> last war starts with Hope's sticky fingers. In a bizarre future world that has forgotten its history, a reckless thief, Hope Red Hood, holds the key to excavating its dark, strange past. If only she and her crew can escape a tyrannical wizard and his unstoppable daughter, but fate will send them all on a path, leading to a war between worlds. Echo Lands is a landscape format, mythic fiction, epic, where anything is possible, a fast-paced genre mashup adventure that combines everything from horror movie vampires to classic mobsters and cyborg elves to Roman demigods and retro rocket ships. You get it. It's fucking nuts. Okay. Now we can go ahead and just end the Eisner voting for artist of the year right now. <laughs> Anyone familiar with Williams art on Batwoman or Promethea knows how amazing his paneling can be. Well, when it's executed in landscape format, he can go completely insane and just empty his brain bucket onto the page and it reaches yeah. new levels of detail and texture that I honestly didn't know you could do in a comic book. I could talk so yeah. much about the art in this title all day because there is so much amazing art crammed into literally every page. Not to mention... One of the goriest pages I've ever seen in the pages of God, a comic yes. book. Executed. Certainly, certainly the most gruesome thing I've ever seen J.H. Williams the third but draw. It is executed so well that I would hang that on my wall. It's fucking beautiful. You friggin' deviant. That said, the story, while also nuts, it also grabbed me right away. I know I just criticized Second Chances for trying to do too much in the first issue, but I don't have the same problem here. There's a good text intro that sets up the character and a bit of the world, but this team wants you to get lost in this story for a reason, and that is because the chaos is part of the universe. Yes, yes. I can't say enough about Williams and Stewart's art collaboration on Echo Lands number one, and the landscape format, which in the hands of a lesser team, could have come off as a bad shtick works so well for this story it, when you hear that a comic book is going to be in landscape format that could come off as oh great it's a bunch of splash pages with some narration that is not what they did here they are not splash pages not no, at all they are just extra wide comic pages. jh williams lays yeah. down what at first glance could look like a giant splash page but when you dig into it 
and start yes. looking at it. He is talented enough to drag your eye through every portion of this page so yeah. gently that you don't even realize one, it makes sense. Two, it's completely nuts. And three, you're reading a comic book. This is the biggest buy it I could possibly give out. It was amazing. When I saw that it was a landscape printed comic, uh, I, am, I was immediately tired. Um, and I just thought that I was going to be, that reading it was going to be exhausting. Right. Cause it just sounds like a shtick. And well, yeah. And like, we've seen, we've seen sideways comics before, sure. like uh, Todd McFarlane and uh, Rob Liefeld very famously did it uh, in X factor or in X force and in Spider-Man in the nineties, there Guess was a little two issue crossover. Wasn't as clever. <laughs> no, no, no. And like, Listen, yeah, it, it it can be a gimmick. Like uh, having to turn, having to manipulate the orientation of your comic as you read it. I'm sorry, sure. it's a hassle. Sure, it's a hassle if I have to do it while I'm reading it. But this is from the start. This is presented in that format the entire way through, um, and so it's like okay, well, and I also knew who I was dealing with, so I was like, all right, at the very least, it'll be pretty. It's not pretty. It's beautiful. Right. Uh, it's breathtakingly beautiful. I've said this before about J.H. Williams III and about some other artists, but uh, Mike Huddleston was another one on that, um, that Jonathan Hickman book that I read one issue of, and I, don't, I think it just stopped coming out, uh, but you know the one, where it seems like the artist switches what medium he's drawing or painting with. Decorum. Was the decorum book. thank you um within the same page not just within the same book but within the same page of that book in this book jh williams the third changes his art style within the same yeah. panel yeah and it's like how, what the i how, i don't know how your brain works that way and so it was exhausting to read it but in the same way that it's exhausting to look upon the visage of galactus right it, yeah I mean, your like, brain is like i'm i don't know what i'm looking at so i'm seeing a giant man in purple spike shorts so like when you say that like oh i looked at this and there's like four different art styles in the same panel that just sounds like well what are you even trying to do here but he forces it Work. Yeah, no. <laughs> and well, it and it's amazing. like amazing. But in the hands of in the hands of, I'm going to say, any other artist currently yeah. working that I can think of. I think that's safe to say. This would not work. Yeah. Um. Certainly, certainly, any artist with less talent, and I, I don't like to really say that. I don't like to compare people as being greater or lesser. But, but not to mention um, the colorist as well. I don't think there is a creative team. That couldn't uh, do. I this. mean, Dave Stewart. Yeah, I, like Dave Stewart just knows how to work with right. J. H. Williams. You have to go I, to Dave Stewart for this. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody else going to be like, able to do I, it. And I know that, like, oh, this. So we've just been talking about the art nonstop. The story's the story's good. The story's fun. You know, I like. I'm yeah, into it. It's like, great. It's got this very Terry Gilliam sort of like lunacy. Uh, yeah, to yeah, it. a little bit. Um, without the weird turfy cranky old man stuff. Yeah, Terry Gilliams, he's gone off the deep end. Oh, has he? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah he's bad. <laughs> yeah, but basically any of, the, any of the still living members of Monty Python, except for uh, Eric Idle, <laughs> uh, you just like leave him alone. This is a book that I would say, it doesn't matter if you read it or not, which no. sounds bad. I, I think you should read it. I want you to read it. But if you bought this book only because you looked at it at the shop or online and you were like, this is too beautiful. I have to buy it. I get it. Yeah. 
And uh, this is a huge buy it. It's it's breathtaking. It, it's it's phenomenally beautiful. Yeah. And now for something completely different. All right. Our final review of the week goes to Superman 78, number one from DC. It's written by Robert Venditti with art by Wilfredo Torres. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. Fly into director Richard Donner's Superman once more in Superman 78, uh, written by Robert and drawn by Wilfredo. Superman 78 tells a brand new adventure in the world of the beloved film. A bright, shining day in Metropolis is interrupted by a mysterious drone that crash lands in the city and starts wreaking havoc. This looks like a job for Superman, but where did the metallic menace come from? What is its purpose? And who is Brainiac? Uh, Yeah, so right off the bat, Superman 78 punched me in the gut with a wonderful full-page tribute to Richard Donner. Man, that outfit uh, he's wearing. Woo! Yeah, boy, it's, it's peak, you know, it's peak 1978. It looks like it's made of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was a goner from page one. Then uh, Diddy wastes no time bringing you back to the world of the film with a brief visit to Krypton in the moments before the explosion, or as Marlon Brando would put it, Krypton. But events don't necessarily <laughs> unfold exactly how you'd remember. There is something that happens. Uh, it's going to come back, I'm sure. His dialogue is spot on, matching the tone and cadence of the original script and the actors perfectly. Uh, but this is no rehash. Venditti establishes an old and also brand new threat. Uh, I mean, that they're at the same time old and also brand new in, in the context of this world. Before the issue is even complete, Wilfredo Torres is wonderful. He's a revelation. His characters invoke the actors without leaning on photorealism, uh, which is something we criticize a lot on this show, uh, unless it's done very, very, very well. Um, Here, everybody feels right without looking like they've been traced out of a magazine. And some of his shots of Superman in flight look like they were pulled directly from the films. Like he nails Christopher Reeve in motion. 100%. 100%. I know exactly what panel you're talking about. And when yeah, I saw it, it yeah. like, my eyes teared up. It's like, God, yeah. <laughs> you sons of bitches. <laughs> Superman 78, it pushes every single one of my buttons as a lifelong fan of the movie. And I hummed the John Williams theme to myself throughout the entire thing. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I, it was. this was just a ton of fun. It, that's all it was. And, and reading this, there was this part of me that wondered, was there part of a script for a Brainiac thing that got morphed into Superman three with the Superman compute with the computer. I mean, I don't know. Richard Donner didn't have anything to do with Richard Superman. 3, so no, I, I know. know that's just it. Like, but like maybe they had some notes and stuff and they're like, all right, but uh, what if we get Richard Pryor and maybe he builds the computer <laughs> you know, instead of an alien and all that. This was just fun and so tone perfect. And I know that I gave a bad review to the Batman 89 which was also very tone perfect but, I mean, it's for just what that it was. But you I don't would, have the same connection to Batman in 89. But I'll you know? take it even further. I think this is a better film than yeah. the first Batman. And I think they obviously studied it and pulled it off exactly the way it was. So if Batman 89 fell down, that may be because I don't, have, I don't think the film is as good. Period. This was mm-hmm. a huge buy it. And it just done by creators that have the utmost reverence for this movie. And I happen to have that same reverence. So that doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's a way to do something like this. That's very easy to criticize. Right. Right. It's like, Oh, it's, it's too slavishly devoted. You know, they don't want to say anything bad. They don't want, and like, yeah, of course not. But this is done with such care. Yeah. And just gently, 
if just gently handled where they're like, we got it. Yeah. Like it's even like, even to the smallest thing, like um, there's a scene where Clark runs into Lois on the street and um, he's talking of course. And she's ignoring him the whole time while she's searching her purse for her wallet. Cause she wants to buy a hot dog. Yeah. She gets two hot dogs for breakfast, two hot dogs for <laughs> breakfast. Uh, and like, you know that they're both for her. Not one. They're not, it's not like she bought one for Clark. No, they're no. both her hot dogs. And, uh, and he's like, oh, well, you know, Lois, uh, hot dogs for breakfast. Ha-ha. And he's talking about all this other crap. And and she's like, Clark, would you mind? I, I forgot my wallet. Yeah. And so she makes him pay for her hot yeah. dogs. I was like, this could have been a deleted scene. Well, and it was happening so Superman fast, too. And like they're having a conversation. And she's like, settle down. You're a great reporter. Don't worry about it. And he's like, really? You, you think I'm a yeah. great reporter? And she's like, sure, whatever. And he's like, does Perry ever say I'm a great reporter? <laughs> and, like, yeah, and then right? something yeah. happens. He's like, oh, uh, I got to do something real quick. Hey, oh. Yeah. It, it's that fast uh, and like just like the movie. It, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. No, nah, it was, it was excellent. Excellent. Now that we have mowed through eight comics, it's time to pick one from this pile to add to the THN permanent collection. Joe Patrick, as I stated, there can be only one. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I wanted to give it to Darkhawk because it hit me on kind of a personal level. But at the end of the day, it is a superhero comic that's pretty standard other than the emotional stuff. Sure. Uh, in terms of comics this week that just all that really blew my socks off. It's got to go to uh, what the hell was the name of it? Echo Lands. Echo. Lands. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was. The art was so impressive that parts of my brain dribbled out of my ear canal, and so I forgot the name of the book. Um, Echo Lands, yeah. I, like, I read that comic, and I was just like, I, I, like, I forgot how to speak for a minute. It's just like, I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. No, it, it, it's Echo Lands for me, too. But, and it's just like we said, we don't need to go back into it, but the level of execution. Yeah, is it's, it's just, next level. It's yeah. unbelievable. I don't know. Someone will do something that is better than this. That's just the nature of the business. People keep raising yeah. the bar. But I don't know what that something is <laughs> at this point. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean <laughs> that it, is how I mean, amazing this feat of art of art is. And it's just it's it, it just so happens that whenever something like this does happen happen, uh, J. H. Williams the third is probably n- nearby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? It's like I'm thinking of the, like the last time everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is a game changer in, ter- in terms of co- comic book visuals," and it was like Sandman Overture. Yeah. Well, and like just looking at other creators responding to it online, they were just like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, God damn it. It's like, I, if I was one of J.H. Williams III's contemporaries, I'd be pissed like off. I could maybe do this job, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can find this episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays if you want to read along. And don't forget to check our Instagram feed to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Also, let us know what you thought of these comics and anything you read on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 a.m. to noon Central Time. Hey, speaking of the Faces book, don't forget to check out the THN fan page. Oh, where that's right. Fans, I have added that link to the show notes as go. requested. It's where fans get together and uh, rap about stuff, you know, that show adjacent. It's a good time. We're there, too. It's late August, and these review sessions are getting hot and sweaty. 
So Joe and I invite you to cool off in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we've frozen the whole place, but pay no attention to our weird hair. I assure you, it's just us, not variants, about to wield some irresponsible magic to reveal our must-read picks for next week. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for Wednesday, September 1st? Coincidentally, if you do see somebody with weird hair about to cast a spell, it's probably a... It's probably somebody yeah. from another dimension. It's a variant, a scroll, uh, or it's Wanda. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> My pick for next week is Almost American, number one from Aftershock. It's written by Ron Mars with art by Marco Castiello. It's $4.99. Again, lots of $5 comics. Yeah. It's the new normal. Here's your solicit. Spies. Like us? Way to make a joke that only people over 40 will understand. Wow. Ron Man, that's In- a deep cut (laughs) it is a deep cut in 2008 husband and wife russian intelligence operatives walked into the u.s embassy in the dominican republic in order to defect making a deal to trade secrets for new lives but instead of the american dream janosch and victoria newman found themselves caught up in red tape bureaucracy and turf wars between the fbi and the cia all while their past tries to kill them this is based on the real-life story of real-life spies. Almost American is written by Ron Mars in close consultation with the real-life Newmans. Oh, wow. I know. Um, my first thought was, oh, it's just the Americans, but not set in the 80s. But no, it, like, this is this happened. This is a real story that happened wow. in, uh, the, in the late aughts. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know what? I love Ron Mars. I, I love Ron Mars I, too. I like to see his name on a on a comic. And you know what? And Ron I'm, Mars. I'm excited to read this. Quality Twitter follow, by the way. He's a good time. He is a really good follow. Twitter that follow. dude. And you know what else? I have. A, I always put music when we read these, like for some reason, because I just think it's fun. Like it's a movie trailer or whatever. And I feel like I could use the Paul McCartney theme song from the movie Spies Like Us, and we would not get sued because I bet it's not trademarked anymore. That movie was so bad. <laughs> copyright. <laughs> Unfortunately, copyright law is not the the memory is not that short. But yeah, yeah. my pick for next week is Dark Ages, number one of six from Marvel Comics. It is also four ninety nine. It's written by Tom Taylor. You may have heard of him. We were just screaming about him. With art by Ivan Coelho. Here is your solicit. This is what the Watcher has been watching for. A bullet, a danger older than the Earth, threatens everything for once. Uh, the heroes who have saved the planet so many times are almost powerless in the face of it. Bullet! X-Men and Avengers assemble. Spider-People and Fantastic Four come together. Heroes for Hire fight alongside champions. Bullet, none of it will be enough. Bullet, the lights are about to go out. Bullet, the world outside our window is about to end. Bullet, an all new saga of the Marvel Universe as you've never seen it before. From Tom Taylor and Ivan Coelho. Woo. Wow. I feel all right. <laughs> yeah, I lived through that one. That was did tough. You pull some, did you pull something? I pulled everything. So, oh, look, I have no idea what this is about. This, I don't either. This is a matter of, I trust Tom Taylor. This is probably the least telegraphed Marvel event right? ever. Like, I don't know if this is even an event. I'm not I don't know sure either. what this is. So I'm going to read it. And I have this feeling that I'm going to find out. Oh, they're all putting on like robot armor. This is an Elseworlds thing <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's you know? just it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, so 
this could be like Avengers them. Mecha now or whatever the fuck. You're right, yeah. Um, <laughs> tech on or something like that or whatever. Uh, Avengers Mech symbol. It was cool. Um, there was a story, a, a backup story in the pages of the free comic book day issue from like two years ago. That was a preview of Dark Ages. Yeah. Maybe it was just a year ago. This but is, I feel like it was two years ago. This has been in the can for a while. We know that. And uh, and like in the preview, the free comic book day preview, like Iron Man gets his arms and legs torn off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is not in continuity. So I don't I don't know that it is. I just need to know, I don't what know. it is. So I like I my brain immediately filed it with deceased, right? Right. Deceased. Right. And that's probably um, where it's gonna be. Which I is, don't know though. I don't we'll know. See. We'll find out next week. I'll read it though. I, I I like Tom Taylor. The THN trade of the week goes to Space Bastards, Volume One, Tooth and Mail. <laughs> That's M A I L M A I L. You'll get it in a second. It's a trade paperback from Humanoids. It's written by Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey, with art by Derek Robertson. It's nineteen dollars ninety nine cents. Here's your solicit. Acclaimed artist Derek Robertson joins writers Eric and Joe to bring you the tale of the galaxy's most dangerous employers, the IPS. In the future, unemployment and job satisfaction, uh, pardon me, dissatisfaction are sky high. When you've got nothing left to lose, you join the Intergalactic Postal Service. Its postage fees are steep and they go only to whomever ultimately fulfills the delivery making every run a comically violent free-for-all between the most ruthless mercenaries in the cosmos. The interplanetary ensemble cast of Space Bastards under the volatile leadership of Postmaster General Roy Sharpton are constantly at each other's throats trying to settle scores and earn big money. But when a rival corporation's teleportation technology threatens to make their role in the galaxy obsolete, the Bastards must work together to preserve a job but they've come to love it, it's basically what if the ups was run by the star wars bounty hunters yeah right <laughs> and it's, it's like so good i read this whole series and i loved it oh, oh my good God, uh so yeah it's like uh, okay so mr skywalker you need to mail these power converters to tashi station exactly um we can't guarantee that they'll arrive at all um, but whichever uh, delivery man kills the most people will get it there for right. you. By the way, this is another step in like the career of Derek Robertson, whose art seems to get better every goddamn time I see I love him. him. Like he's I almost, he's gotten so good that I don't recognize his style anymore. Like he just yeah. keeps evolving. God, that guy is good. Uh, for those that might not recognize the name, uh, Derek Robertson is the co-creator of books like Transmetropolitan, The Boys, and Happy, um, two of which have been adapted in, in high-profile television uh, projects. You're not even going to mention uh, Hitman, your favorite? Hitman? He didn't draw Hitman. Wasn't that him? It was John McRae. Oh, you're right. That was John McRae. I apologize. But yeah, Derek Robertson, he's awesome. God damn. I mean, look, if you want to, if you want me to gush about him a little bit more, he's also the artist that took over uh, for Mark Bagley on the New Warriors in the 1990s. So uh, that, yeah, that I've loved him for a long time. That also happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read, and also be sure to tune in next week to hear us reveal the next THN book club read for September. Speaking of our book club. (laughs) 
It's time for THN. Take a look. It's in a book club. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the Ziggurat, I would like you all to say a big THN hello to Ryan Mount and Mr. Jason Sachs. Say hello, kids. Hello. Oh, wait. Hey there. Yeah. You met them. They are joining. Hey, everybody. They are joining us today for our THN Take a Look. It's in a book club segment. You'll be able to hear the entire segment if you pay for it on Patreon because love costs money and that's how it works. And I hope you understand that. But we're going to give you a taste today where we are talking about the mystery of the meanest teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. Now, months ago, Joe Patrick and I reported on this and I said, I can't believe they're doing this. This sounds so stupid. There's no way I'm going to read it. And I'm pretty sure that's why Joe and Ryan went behind my back and picked this one out. Look, this is a book club. I wish, I wish that I could take credit for this, uh, but it was all Ryan. I had a feeling. feeling. He's been like this for a long time, but let's get into it. He wanted to make you read the Swamp Thing one too. We were going to do two books in one. Oh my God. This book is written by Ryan North with art by Derek Charm. This came out a few months ago, so it is available now, and here is your solicit. After angering a number of hostile spirits in England, 13-year-old magician Johnny Constantine has to find a way out of the country, persuading his parents to send him to America. Persuading his parents to send him to America, John arrives at the Junior Success Boarding School in Salem. I do love that name. But once there, he finds himself to be something of an outcast, and he's also convinced that his homeroom teacher really has it in for him. Worse, he's convinced that she's really a witch. Fortunately, John is able to find one kindred spirit at a school with whom he's able to form an alliance. Another misfit named Anna who also happens to have her own developing magical powers. John recruits Anna in his efforts to uncover the truth about Miss Kayla and expose the meanest teacher's real identity to the world. Joined by a friendly demon named Netragan, one we've all met, I'm sure, these two amateur sleuths will uncover clues and stumble upon forces beyond their control in a humorous series of misadventures. So before we even get into it, is this everybody's first DC Y A G N, as they like to say. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I can't think of any that I've read, but I also feel like I must have read at least one of them. I know I have not. This is definitely my first. Jason, I think this is my first. Well, I read Superman Smashes the Clan, if that counts. I did read Su- Superman. Smashes I don't think that counts. <laughs> that one was not in this line, so I did a little detective work here. So originally, and it was announced, I believe, as a young adult, but it's actually two subsections. And uh, I read off Bleeding Cool, which we all have our feelings there. They, but they it do did, their job. It did say, <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> there are literally two different sections. And if you do look on the back of the book, if you have the physical book, it says DC Kids on it. Yes. So there literally is a young audience books and oh, a young yeah. adult. So there you go. Jason's originally holding it up to the camera right now. So as far as in this new line, I have not read anything, but I have read um, it was Supergirl uh, Cosmic Powers Adventures in the eighth grade. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I think two of the DC superhero girls books, um, We're- which again are not part of this line, but tied in the TV show. And it's definitely aimed at the same audience. Also very formative for this line, I think. This is like a more of a bookstore line 
and DC has had huge success with this. It's massive. So Ryan, uh, is this, have they like abandoned their whole, like, you know, they made a big deal of, of them having this new branding a few years back where there was going to be DC Inc., uh, which was kind of the YA graphic novel, or maybe they were just novels. Um, and then there was DC Zoom, which was going to be the younger kids' books. Are they just done with that? They, these aren't. I didn't see that anywhere on here. No, I, I don't think so. Um, I didn't see. I didn't see any mention of those imprints at all. <laughs> they sound brand new to me. So I think they literally are just marketing it to kids. And you know, if you've ever, I don't know, the last time anybody was in a bookstore, but you got your kids section, and then you got your, you know young adult section. Right. So I have a feeling that's probably where they'd be located. Well, and if there's one thing I know about DC is they love to just make up imprints and then immediately <laughs> abandon it. This was right about the time that we gave a young animal a second chance and Hill House its first, I believe. And then both yeah, of those? Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> so long. Hill, a, well, no, Hill House, Hill House is like a suburb of, a, of an imprint because it's also under Black Label. So it's right. you know it's it's a it's a, a sub imprint of an imprint. It's an imprint of an imprint of an imprint. Yeah. A pop up sub imprint, I think. Technically, uh, yeah. Oh God, don't oh, wow. So that let's whole... talk about the creative team. Is this our first exposure Spoke. to either of these creators, Ryan North or Derek Charm? No, uh, Ryan North is uh, very very famous uh, for being the creator of the uh, vastly popular, more popular than any comic book that we will ever read dinosaur comics uh he's got a massive online audience uh yeah. he's also he's also the guy that kind of brought adventure time to comics uh for boom studios and he wrote a very very long very celebrated run of the unbeatable squirrel girl for marvel uh, oh, as well okay. as a number of other projects including the uh graphic novel adaptation of uh what was slaughterhouse five, slaughterhouse five? yeah right. you. i couldn't remember which one <laughs> We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check out our entire review. We had so much fun talking about this book, The Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. You can hear the whole thing over at our Patreon, which you have access to for any dollar amount. Well, at least one dollar anyway. So check it out. Help us out. Lord knows we could use the cash. Excelsior! Oh, that is it for THN 632, and next week, the Cosmic Long Box is in charge. And to celebrate Shang-Chi hitting theaters, if you don't mind a little Delta variant with your popcorn, we'll be taking a look at classic martial arts comics. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time, hosted on our Facebook page, and don't forget about our question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Tony Mathers. But don't take our word for it. Hey guys, Tony Mathers. Uh, I thought of a question of the week for you guys. You might have to reword it a little bit. But uh, what are the best and worst fandoms? So just to reiterate what Tony said, we're not talking about which group of fans is the worst or the best. We're because talking about which... Quite honestly, every group of fans is the worst. Kind of, yeah. I can tell. Uh, it's, I mean, it's true. <laughs> we're talking about which um, which area... Property. Which, IP. Which, thing, which property, yeah. yeah. Which, which Like, I hate to call them properties or IPs, but you know what I mean. Which... which which 
set of fictional uh, fuck it, property you know, what, or what IP. IP. That's yeah, what they are. Right, Come fine. on. <laughs> Don't fight it. We live in a business world, Joe, and it's directed by yeah, business. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, who treats their fans the best? Who treats them the worst? Yes. Yeah. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot us an MP3. That goes to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can also leave a message on the Ziggurat hotline. I just mentioned that phone number, but here it is again, 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. Just remember, if you're leaving a message, leave it two minutes or less, please. we got to share the air with the nerds. And also, keep those question of the week suggestions coming. Yeah, just like Cuckoo. Uh, Cuckoo. 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 I don't know. Kuko Studio tweeted at us, and they hit us with a question of the week. They were like, we got oh, a question they? of the week suggestion, which I love. It's Kuko. C-U-C-K-O-O? Yeah. Kuko? That's Kuko. That's Cuckoo? like Cuckoo, like Cuckoo Clock. Okay. That's how you spell it? I believe so, yeah. Oh, interesting. I did not do that. I was thinking it was like Kaylee Kuko. Kaylee Kuko. Oh. <laughs> Kaylee Kuko Studios. Bring it's you. up yours, Kuko. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> If you're new to this show and you're sick of listening to do beta cucks discuss comic books, I assure you. I'm it's sorry, only it's beta kook. It's beta kooks. Beta sorry. kooks. <laughs> Talk about comics. I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. I want to thank patrons like THN Love Slave and occasional take a look. It's in a book club guest, JD Gotta Catch. He pays us. Well, I was going to say keep him in a cage but he's a ghost so where does money comes from he's a time traveling ghost he's a time traveling ghost we couldn't keep we couldn't keep traveling if we tried yeah (laughs) before we go our weekly shout out goes to mabel bobo beanie and penny the puppy dogs that live in the ziggurat with us and also beeps bomb i can't believe you didn't give a shout out to beeps he's dead (laughs) yeah but he lives on in our hearts yeah his ghost haunts here and every once in a while they fucking scream and yell and mess up my audio these little sons of bitches (laughs) Word to all of our furry friends because we're recording it on August 26th. That's right. It's National Dog Day. Hey-o. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your dog of a retailer might just lift his leg on your pile. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off.